Welcome to Demand Does the Six Questions, where the same six questions can tell a unique story. I am your host, Demand, father of two, husband of one, and leader of this here Demondcast. And before we get back into the interview with my buddy Gilbert, I, we need to do a couple little housekeeping things. Please, 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 please hit your Apple Podcast button. Make sure you subscribe. Leave a review and some comments in the thingy. It doesn't have to say anything important. It could just say hi. And now, part two with Gilbert Corsi. I believe we were on... Question number three. What is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant? Chicken and beef teriyaki at any teriyaki place in the Pacific Northwest and you have to be from the Pacific Northwest to know about the places that just have teriyaki on the front. Explain. It just It's teriyaki. Like it, if you're in Seattle if you're from the Seattle, the Portland California, you know that there are all over the place, like Starbucks and McDonald's, there are teriyaki places. It's just called teriyaki? It's just called teriyaki. <laughs> yes. What? Yeah. And it is amazing. It's a, it's, it's a, and it's a franchise out there? No, or? it's not a franchise. It's just, they they're just they're independent of Leon. You just put teriyaki on the front of the Nani and you know what it is. And like if you are from there, you know what I'm talking about. Or you visited there and you've had it, you know what I'm talking about. But this far east, no. You, like then you go to, people go to like Chinese restaurants or something like that or Japanese restaurants or whatever Asian fare they're trying to get and they're like, order teriyaki. Not this far east, you're not going to get it. Don't taste right. Gotcha. You got to be in on the west coast to get good teriyaki and it is one of my it is one of the first things i do when i get home question number four what are you curious about what am i not curious about i think that what i tell um young journalists you know i've been doing this for 15 years now what i tell young storytellers all the time is the most powerful question the most powerful tool you have in your toolkit is the power of why just ask why and if you dare to ask why and then search for the answer, many times in that path from the question to the answer, you find a story. I can't tell you how many times I've, I know it sounds all philosophical and everything like that, but so many stories have started from just the epicenter of why. I did a story uh, on the one of being an investigation called From the Schoolhouse to the Jailhouse, another one of those uh, award-winning broad, uh, stories. And it really came out of, like, for two weeks straight, I felt like every day on the news I was reading a 25-second story about a kid who got arrested at school. And the one that got me when it was when the charge was cursing at a teacher. And I was like, we took a kid to jail for this? I'm, and I'm like, I'm not saying that cursing at a teacher is right. I'm not saying that that's okay by any means. But we put some, when you put a young person in the justice system, you start a cycle in their life. That's not my opinion. That's just what the, the statistics show, right? And I'm like, you arrested a child or a teenager for being dumb and being stupid and being disrespectful? He is all of those things. It is not okay to curse at a teacher, but is it a crime? Should we be putting children behind bars and making them go see a judge for it? And so then it started, well, how many kids have been arrested at school? And it was thousands in Louisville. I mean, it was four or five a day every day in Louisville that we're going from the schoolhouse, from the jailhouse. That's what our investigation uncovered. Wow. Right? So it, was, it literally came from 
why did this kid go to jail for that? Well, how many kids are being, is this happening to? Um, and it opened, it opened the door to, oh my God, we have a problem here. We are locking up thousands of young people and setting them on this path of being thrust into the justice system. The power of why. Searching for the answer, you find, this, you find the story. Question number five. Is there anything I should have asked but didn't? What should you ask but didn't? That's, all, that's a good question. I've used that in times. That's a, that's a classic interviewer's question. You didn't ask about how I got. I've talked about leaving, going from Washington State, packing my life in my car and moving across the country hoping to work for the WWE. You didn't ask how I got into news, though. How did you get into news? I say it was the big man upstairs. I moved days after graduation, packed my life in my Saturn, drove across the country hoping to get an internship with the WWE because I had applied to every job open on their website during my senior year of college. And one day, like the week before spring break, I got a call back. Um, and I got a call, and I thought it was my friend messing with me. So it's like 7 in the morning, which is, I'm on the West Coast. WWE is obviously based on the East Coast. And he's like, I'm looking for Gilbert Corsi. This is so-and-so. I think it was Chris Pegnataro. Don't, don't quote me on that. Eventually, I had conversations with lots of people in the HR department. But Chris Pegnataro from World Wrestling Entertainment. Actually, he just called it World Wrestling. And I was like, what? It's 7 in the morning. <laughs> I was like, man, Justin, get off my effing phone. Like, I'm like, my, and he's like, uh, excuse me? And I was like, I like fall out of bed. I was like, oh my God, is this, is this real? <laughs> like, oh, 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 I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. It's seven o'clock my time. Um, this is, this is Gilbert. Uh, we noticed that you applied for several uh, internships on our website. And, um, so I had a brief conversation. And he was like, when are you graduating? I was like, I'm graduating in May. Um, and he was like, you know, well, I can't, you know, offer you a job in this entry level. Or in, we don't hire, ultimately, this is what he said, we don't hire paid interns from across the country. But if you get here, there'll be something for you. That was enough for me, Mo. I had gone to a, the quintessential, like, college job fair like a couple weeks earlier and been offered like six jobs and I took them, I accepted them all. I just didn't want to be that guy who graduated and was unemployed and moving back home was not an option. Like I was like, I am not moving back to my parents' house. That's not happening. I mean, so like any and all jobs that were offered to me, six. I went to a college job fair. I got six job offers out of that uh, college <laughs> job fair. I accepted them all and wound up turning them all down, saying thanks but no thanks, just because of that phone call with this HR dude from WWE and saying, with taking all my graduation money, so $3,000 about to my name, which, you know, to me now, as a 35-year-old adult, this is so scary to me that I would even fathom to do this, but at 22 years old, with literally $3,000 to my name and a $500 credit card for a backup plan. I packed my life in my car and moved across the country to the most expensive city in the yeah. United States. Yeah. I mean, I didn't even three, and now I'm like, Gilbert, you didn't have enough for first and last month's rent in New York. What in the world were you thinking? <laughs> and so I wound up Craigslisting getting into a summer sublet in Dobbs Ferry. And so Dobbs Ferry was in Westchester County, just outside the five bureaus that they consider New York, New York. But it's closer to Stanford. 
And um, so these, it was like a college house, and some of the roommates were gone for the summer, and so they're just looking to sublet their lease. Right. So I, I got into this sublet, and I waited for the WWE to call, and I waited, and I waited, and I called them, <laughs> right, and emailed, and then I was like, well, you told me if I moved here that you would call me. And so finally I did get the call, had an interview, and uh, they were just like, well, it looks like you want to be on camera. And I was like, yes, I want to be a, I want to be a broadcaster, right? Like, and they were like, well, look, these internships are in production. So you got to make packages. You may learn to direct a show, this and, this and that. It's going to be behind the scenes, right? Um, and mm. we do hire a lot of our interns, but this is never, these jobs are never going to lead you into a commentary position, being in front of the camera or doing anything where you are writing the show and creative. You need to go be, quote, you need to go be on television for five years every day and then come back to us. And this is why I say it was the big man upstairs, because that same day, not even two hours later, a television station in Abilene, Texas called me. That day. The same day, hours later, called me and said, hey, have you graduated yet? Because we have a reporter opening. Wow. I was like, what? Like, yeah, we <laughs> want to put you on TV every day, five days a week. Same day. That's why I said it was the big man upstairs. So as fast as I had moved to, um, so you were like, how did that television station in Abilene even know about you? A year earlier, I was supposed to be doing an internship with a private production company in Dallas. They, I know, it was weird. I just stumbled upon this internship. They were like, they were going to house me and pay me a stipend. They said, we just need you to have transportation so you can drive to and from the shoots. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. And then like a week before I was supposed to leave to start the internship, they called me and said we had an advertiser back out, and so now we have to cut expendable resources. And I was like, well... What's an expendable resource? They said paid interns from out of state. <laughs> Love you, sir. Yep. So I, I'm like in route, literally. Oh. Mo, I am in route to Texas on the on, on like my way down there, oh. and I've already paid my university for the credits. Like you gotta pay to go work somewhere most times for free. Internships right. aren't paid. So I've already paid my university to do these credits. I pull off to the side of the road and I'm wrecked, you know? I'm like, Seattle's a competitive market. It's a top 15 market, so they hire their interns in like March. I didn't have uh, the other media markets in the state like Spokane. I didn't have anywhere that I could live for free and, and go intern and work at the stations in Spokane. So my, I call my dad and he's like, keep driving. There's TV stations in Abilene, Texas and you got family there. So I literally kept driving. I set up interviews on the road while I was still in route wow. to Texas. There were, there were two stations in Abilene there was, that had three affiliates. So there was K-Texas, which was the ABC station, and then K-TAB-KR, which had a duopoly for the NBC affiliate and the CBS affiliate. I had, inter I had interviews set up at both. At, and uh, 10 o'clock in the morning for K-Texas and like 11.30 for K-TAB-KR. I went to K-Texas. They said, you can start today, and I never went to the other interview. And when I interned there, um, and I had like aunts, uncles, and cousins, I had been to Abilene once in my life when I was 12. I am now 21, showing wow. 21. I had been there for three days ever in my life. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But you had family there, so. Right. My aunt was like, what is happening here? <laughs> right? So I went to the interview. At, when I 
and I tell students this all the time, go intern somewhere. Well, it used to be. Now media has changed. It used, when I was coming out of college and getting into television, like digital careers didn't exist. Right. So you had to go to a 150 or below, 215 media markets in the country, the, the bigger the number, the smaller the town, the smaller the media market, right? So New York is number one, Los Angeles number two, Chicago number three, uh, San Francisco's in the top 10, Dallas is in the top 10, Houston's in the top 10, Detroit, DC, the big cities, big markets, right? Small numbers. Well, when you're coming out of college, you gotta go to market number 1,608. <laughs> And that's what Abilene, Texas was. And But I used to tell people, go and turn in those places. Go make your mistakes in those places. Because that's where you go learn to figure out how to do the job. And then if you're an intern, and you, they've already trained you to be an intern, and if you're good, they'll hire you. So when I interned at this small market station in Abilene, they, were, they happened to be down like a producer, an anchor, and a reporter. And you know, in a station where I work at now in Louisville, where we got 105 employees, life goes on, right? right. But in that newsroom where they got 25 employees, like they were short-staffed. Yeah. So for those two and a half months, every day I would pitch a story in the morning meeting, go out with the photographer, shoot it, and the news director was like, I won't put interns on air but you can turn a package in our, and our main anchor will, will voice it for you in Hill. So I would go out and do a package every day, um, and then the, somebody else would voice it, wow. would front it. And then I would go to the booth and sit with the producer and time out the show. Um, and so I had done that the year before, and when I left, I said, thank you. I had no intention to getting into news. I said, I'm getting into wrestling. Don't worry about it. But I said my goodbyes. Didn't didn't do what you're supposed to do where you keep in contact with the people you do your internship with, trying to network with them. Didn't give it another thought, right? Fast forward to a year later, the day, same day that WWE's like, go be on television every day. Because when they tell somebody that, that's like daunting. Those jobs just don't, those doors just don't open. Right. And that's why I say it was the big man upstairs because the God said, okay, <clears throat> let me push that door open for you. And, uh, and then, I got a call saying, hey, we want you to come be a reporter. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. That is a crazy story. So then as fast as I packed my car and left from Seattle to Washington, I left from, or Seattle to, to New York, I left from New York to Texas. Wow. That's crazy. I know. It just makes me sad. This is the last question. Mm. Question number six. If you could create a new holiday, what would it commemorate? It would be great to have a day for journalists. I think the role of the First Amendment and the freedom of the press and journalism, mm -hmm. which is under attack in this country, man, it is so hard. Where I say all the time, we're no longer the good guys. Like, if we expose truth, it doesn't matter how true it is, somebody else can call it a lie, and then your credibility is damaged. It's insanity. It's Even if you've done your... I'll give you an example. I did a story on a woman who was an elected to the city, a city council in a town just outside of Louisville. She moved 40 minutes away from the town, two counties away. And, if you, and you have to live in the city to hold office, okay? That makes sense. Um, she was getting a stipend, three, $350 a month. And that really, really wasn't so much while she was staying on the council. She stayed on the council because the council was divided 3-3. Three, three. And so that when the council, every vote had been split, it gave the power to the mayor to be the deciding vote. And if she would have left the council, 
the mayor wouldn't have been the deciding vote anymore. So there was a deal cut for her to stay on the council and lie and say that she's living at her brother's house in order for the council to still be split. She, we revealed this. We proved that she sold her house, pulled up the deed, went to her new house 40 minutes away, have her husband on camera in the front lawn. She, here was the big thing. Not only had she changed her driver's license, dude, she changed her voter registration mm -hmm. to her new house two counties away, 40 minutes away. So you want to vote in one community and serve in another, right? We have all of this laid out. Wow. Right? And she'd been avoiding and avoiding and avoiding. I also say this all the time. When you see a journalist who has to go do what we call a confrontation interview or a non-scheduled interview, please know that's the last resort. We don't like doing that, right? That, that is a, this person won't return our calls. They won't return our emails. We've told them we're going to come to a public setting and answer, ask our questions. That is a last resort. So I have to go to the city council meeting where I know she's going to be there and wait for her in the parking lot and say, hey, why are you going to serve on this council eight months? Why are you still on the city council eight months after you've moved out of this city? Wow. Why are you, why are you, well, I'm not. Well, you, we've, here's the deal. And then you've got to pull out your facts. Well, here's the, the sale from your old house. Here's the deed to your new house. And wow. you've changed your voter registration. So you want to vote in one community and serve in another? Right? You laid all your facts. Here's why I say we're not the good guy anymore. Okay, so the day after our story ran, so we also found that the attorney general had told her that she was not eligible for office anymore either. And oh, she continued to stay. What she did was she switched her mailing address to be City Hall. True. We, we, we uncovered it all. Documents for it at all. Have it all. Right? A day, one day after our story ran, she resigned. Okay? Okay. I got several calls explaining or uh, with people upset with me because I picked on this little old lady. Mm -hmm. Because she was 120 pounds, maybe soaking wet, and maybe five foot three. And I am six foot and 200 more pounds than I'd like to say. <laughs> and it didn't matter that she was lying to stay in office part of a corrupt city government, taking taxpayer money she didn't deserve. All of those things didn't matter. It was, why are you picking on that little old lady? Let alone that the truth was that she was completely wrong. That's the kind of attack that journalism's under right now. And I, this has changed. It used to be when I showed up at a scene, oh, the news is here. People were happy to see you. Mm -hmm. And that's not the case anymore. Wow. The myth, the uh, political landscape has, has, and because if there's a journal, if a story's wrong, it damages all of our credibility. Same thing happens in policing. If a police officer does something bad, it eats away at the cr credibility. That one officer eats away at the entire credibility of their department. Same thing happens in journalism. If a journalist gets a story wrong, it eats away at the entire credibility of our profession because there is a big loud voice from the top saying don't believe what you hear on the news it's not true just because and I to that I say just because you don't like it doesn't mean it's not true right that's small local level right, right. this is happening nationally as well right. you have journalists that are uncovering just 
insane things that would not be uncovered had it not been for a journalist. There is a reason that there's a First Amendment. There is a reason that there is the freedom of the press, right? It, it exists to be a watchdog for those in power. Why do you think that people believe the attack, believe the attacks against journalism? Why do you think people believe um, that? Be the role that social media has played in eroding journalism is huge because now there is a misinformation war out there. Mm. People don't know that they're, when they click on what looks like a real headline from ABC XYX Z2134, which has graphics that look just like your local ABC station, mm. but you didn't pay attention to the, to the address and the address bar. They don't know that that's not true. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people in my Facebook friend list, people I consider intelligent, college-educated people, share stories, and I'm like, hey, I just sent them a private message. That's not true. That's fake. That's somebody out there who's trying to put misinformation out there or propaganda out there. And so it used to just be you'd have to deal with bloggers, right? Yeah. Bloggers who aren't real journalists. Uh, well, sometimes there are bloggers who do, good, who do good stories. I'm not, like, crapping on all bloggers, but I'm saying that you got some bloggers that are just, you know, in their mom's basement and putting that out there on the Internet. Making up stuff. That used to be one thing. Now magnify that times a million, and that is, that is what fake news is. And because educated people sometimes cannot tell the difference between those real fake news sites, for lack of a better term, those not, that has nothing to do with journalism, and what they're getting from their local affiliates or their local newspaper or their local uh, uh, radio station in town, there's just this brood of confusion. Yeah. Um, and so then you have this loud voice from the top saying, that's not true. What they're telling you is not true. And then you pull up a sensational article, and it's like, well, no, that's not true. But no credible journalist said that. Some weirdo in Russia who's in a misinformation, misinformation war put that in our social media sphere. It's real. It is, it is absolutely real. So now you have to defend yourself against headlines that weren't even real in the first, that were not even created by a real journalist. They were put in the social atmosphere just to confuse. You I also didn't ask me about what I've done at OVW. What have you done at OVW? <laughs> that was, uh, so in front of the camera, I've always been the commentator, right? Right. Or the interviewer. The, most the, of the time, the, the time that match, I right? was, the, the time that we were there together, you were, uh, you were the lead Straight announcer. broadcaster. Well, yeah. uh, straight broadcaster. Um, it's one of the great things about OVW, because I've learned so much in my time there. Danny oh, Davis, man. what a phenomenal mentor. And just the other people that you've been able to learn how to produce wrestling from. Like, when I came in, Cornette was writing TV, right? Yeah. Um, and then Al came in writing, came in writing yeah. TV. Both have their equal genius, but they also both do it very separate ways, different ways. Right. right? Um, and so you were able to, you're just able to glean ideas from so many different people, right? Um, and be able to put your own thing together. We know about you know what happened at NWA and the social media backlash that that he has gotten. I do not think that Jim Cornette is the is racist in the least bit. 
Um, yeah. That was not my experience with him at all whatsoever. Um, this is a guy who made a spot for me at OVW, gave me my first opportunity on a national platform with Ring of Honor, and has always answered the phone when I called in with a question. So I consider him a, a friend and a mentor. Um, and you know, in this wrestling business, everybody's in their own silos and in their own cliques, and I'm sure that may make somebody unhappy along the way. But I, you know, as a, I'm a journalist at my core, and I just speak the truth. I think they told an old, old joke that isn't socially acceptable anymore. Yeah. But I do not think in the least bit in his heart that he is racist. Okay, so at OVW, started as the second, as analyst. Came in, Dean Hill was the lead guy. Always six, I respect Dean Hill as the lead guy. Then I came into more of Al, uh, particularly in Al's writing. He would, afterwards, he'd be yelling at me backstage about why didn't you cut Dean off? And I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, he's the lead. What do you mean? Like, what am I? And so, what am I? How am I supposed to? Like, what am I? You're, I'm number two. You're, you're, you're getting on number two for not controlling number one, right? Right. Like, um, and so Al flipped that. He was like, I want you to be the play-by-play guy. Oh. Um, okay. But so here's the deal, and this is why I'm always about respect because I was like, okay, I will take over play-by-play on the show, but Dean will always be the first voice they hear when OVW comes on the air. So I always would say, all right, Dean, this is what we're starting with. Start us off with this. And then I'd go once he started. It was Dean's show. He was the first voice. He was the original voice, and it was his desk until he didn't want to do it anymore, period. Jobs at OVW. I have been creative. I've written over 200 episodes. Wow. I, at one point in time, was helping Danny on the business end, the back end of it, you know. Uh, managing partners, like, Africa, like businesses that wanted to do... Uh, become a partner in some way with OVW, whether it was inventory during our television show, commercial breaks, banner placement, uh, sponsored appearance, like talent appearances at their companies, you know, just kind of overseeing what that agreement looked like. Right, so you're heav- heavily on the business end of it. Uh, recruited talent to our school, produced events from top to bottom in partnership with uh, other major companies as well. Like, you, I, the opportunity that you have to learn so much i hope you found gilbert's incredible journey through news and wrestling as interesting as i did you can see and most importantly hear gilbert corsi on ohio valley wrestling as part of the gladiator sports network on the yta network you can also find all their streaming content on ovwrestlingnetwork.com. That's all one word. And it also still airs at 9 p.m. on WBNA-TV in the Louisville and Southern Indiana area. You can also find him on Facebook and Twitter at G Corsi. And again, I hope you enjoyed it. Make sure you leave a five-star review after you get done. And I'll see you next week. So until next time, see it, hear it, speak it, live.